Welcome to the Burn Your Mortgage Podcast, a Canadian real estate podcast that shows you how to pay off your mortgage sooner and live well while doing it. Now, here's your host, Sean Cooper. Welcome to the Burn Your Mortgage Podcast. I'm Sean Cooper, and it's great to be back for another episode. On today's show, I'll be talking to Dan Vizmanos. Dan is a personal finance enthusiast and a blogger on Medium. He's into books, finance, self-improvement, and motivation. He's mortgage-free in the GTA at the age of 27, no easy feat. Dan's the founder of Money Curriculum, a YouTube channel dedicated to teaching the concepts that should be taught in high schools. Dan posted an excellent review of my book that you'll want to check out. In my interview with Dan, we discuss the key steps he took to be mortgage-free, the deeper motivating factors that kept him on track with his goal, and Dan's advice for others who would like to follow in his footsteps. Without further ado, here's my interview with Dan Vismanos. Hi, Dan. How are you doing today? I'm doing well, Sean. How are you? Pretty good, thanks. So can you tell me about yourself and what inspired you to go on this real estate journey? Sean, first of all, I wanted to say I'm a huge fan of your work, and it's an absolute pleasure to be on your podcast today. I am a registered nurse by trade, and 15 years ago, I immigrated here to Canada with a family of four, my parents and my brother. We used to live in a 500-square-foot basement apartment in Vaughan, Ontario. And fast forward five years, I graduated from nursing school at Ryerson University with $26,000 in student loans and credit card bills. You know, that brings us to this year, today, 2019, where tomorrow I will be paying for my condominium in full alongside with my wife, of course. And, you know, all that having zero educational background and and finance needed in my whole family. And as far as inspiration was concerned, it really came out of desperation in my case. When I looked at the numbers coming out of university, something didn't feel right. You know, I had $23,000 in student loans and two maxed out credit cards at $1,500 each. It was late 2014 when I ran to a news bit of you on YouTube that was going viral. And the part where they revealed that you were living in the basement and renting the upstairs made me realize how genius that was. And from that day, you've absolutely motivated me to be creative with coming up with a lump sum of my own towards a property. And that brings us to, the, to today. So yeah, I'm, a, I'm a, essentially a byproduct of two very frugal immigrant parents and also being deeply indoctrinated by your book, How to Burn Your Mortgage. It's a dream today, really, to do a podcast with you. I've, I've, I've been a big fan, actually. <laughs> Thank you. I really appreciate that. That's uh, great to interview you and hear your story and uh, hear somebody that essentially had all this debt and was able to turn it around in only a few years is really remarkable. So I'm excited to interview you as well. So why don't we jump right into it? What were the key steps for you in being mortgage free as of tomorrow? Being mortgage-free at this stage of my life really included plenty of luck and help, but it also required a lot of consistency when it came to managing my expenses. I managed to at least save half of my money towards the mortgage or other debt payments. And I know a lot of personal finance experts 
are big on budgeting. But through the past few years, I didn't really keep a checklist. For me, I would do monthly audits. Let's say I would make $5,000 in a month. I have to make sure that after all the bills are paid, there's $2,500 sitting in my savings. I would adjust any surplus or deficit in the next month. And one thing that made this all easy was I did maximize my savings during the time when I was still living with my parents with subsidized rent. And I know you pointed that out in your book, Knocking on Mom and Dad Bank. So without their help and, and housing me, I pretty much would be struggling a little bit harder to come up with this payment. And uh, of course, another person that helped me is that I'm married to a super financially savvy person, someone who's pretty much kept me on track through the whole time. And luckily for me, paid for the other half of the mortgage, which of course helps me out a lot as well. It's almost a shame that she can't be on the podcast today. But probably the most important key factor that's I think will separate those from people who pay their mortgages off sooner than later is buying something within their needs that they can afford. Like I had written my blog in Medium, I could have looked at properties upwards of $600,000. And if I had gone through with buying a property bigger than that, as big as that, we probably wouldn't be having this conversation. And in no way would I be able to pay for that as well. So, you know, I have very profound memory when we were buying this this condominium, they would ask me if I wanted to be on a higher floor. Do I want a second bedroom? Do I want furniture upgrades? You know, terms and changes where if we had said yes, would hamper our ability to pay off our mortgage now. And I think that's a big problem with a lot of the people buying properties today. There's the idea of why not? It's going to go to the mortgage anyways. There's almost a disconnect to the purchase of the place to actually paying for the place and having to come up with every loose change to pay for this condo, you know, made us realize that that $5,000 for having a property five floors higher is actually coming from your own pocket and your own paycheck. Another hidden benefit for buying a smaller place and you had mentioned in your book is pay smaller property tax, smaller maintenance fees smaller hydro and electric bill. And another thing to add to that is that we had to pay less for furniture since we didn't have to buy as much as well. Another thing that adds on to my luckiness is that on the the technical side is that this property was a pre-construction. So we had locked in the price in early 2016. And during that time, we did manage to build a good amount of equity as well. But if we were to buy this unit at current market levels, we would probably not have been able to pay for it. So yeah, John, I think a lot of things had to line up for us to to really make this move. Yeah, it's a really remarkable story. Thanks for sharing that with me. And yeah, I'm just curious in terms of a pre-construction condo, can you provide any tips and tricks uh, with navigating that? I've heard some people have experiences where perhaps things don't go according to plan. So as they say, hindsight is 2020. Do you have any tips when it comes to buying pre-construction? Oh yeah, definitely. So I think it's it's well known and there's a lot of literature on, on doing your research on the builder. The property that we're in is with pretty reliable, with, with long history. A lot of companies don't have as much properties in their portfolio. You might need to dig a little bit deeper on and have to do a little bit more research. But one thing that I had actually noticed that I may have missed during my research is that there is a period of occupancy wherein, you know, you pay the phantom rent and, and, and so yes. on. But during that time, they have you pay for interest that are not 
included in your down payment. The amounts that you have not paid for towards the mortgage, they calculate the interest. And this is not something that's well written on. So for the balance owing for our property, which was around 200,000 or so, we were paying 3.59% for the six months that we had occupancy. And we we had this cash lying around and you know we didn't really have any instrument that could make better than 3.59. So it would have made sense for us to actually place the bigger down payment towards the condominium at that time. That's something that a lot of people can take advantage of. If you do have excess funds during occupancy, you would want to actually give that to your builder just so that you're not accruing interest on the balance owing towards your mortgage. So that's one thing I picked up. That part's very, very unique because I didn't really hear much about it or or read much about it. I've done quite a bit of reading. That's something that hit me just coming closing time, actually. Wow. And I'm just curious, in terms of buying a new property, I'm sure there was pressure in terms of all the upgrades. So how did you keep that under control without letting your budget go way over? Because as you mentioned, you could have bought on a different floor, but you decided against it. But in terms of the upgrades, I heard that's so tough with some people, they end up spending way more on that than they intended to. So how did you kind of manage that? The the upgrades for me were not really a challenge. A lot of what they offered were really more for aesthetic or just having a bigger sink. And in terms of weighing the costs towards the functionality, it didn't really make sense to me. So to me, at least, Sean, it wasn't as hard of a decision. But my parents, when they bought their own property as well at another place, they went for the upgrades. And the difference that I see between their unit to, to ours is, is very minimal. So I don't regret that decision at all. Definitely that could have easily added thousands or tens of thousands of dollars on the purchase. In our case, a small $3,500 to $5,000 difference. Thanks for sharing all that insight. Following up on that, can you share some of the sacrifices that you've made during this process? It's it's funny that you mentioned that, Sean, because I really feel like I haven't made much sacrifices at all. Through our first four years of saving, me and my wife had actually been able to travel at least once a year for vacation. And just to give everyone an idea, we are both nurses as well. But there are some small things that we save on, like not having cable, having very modest phones and phone plans. But for the most part, it always comes back to the theme of just buying uh, what we need. One area that I excel at naturally due to the lack of interest in fashion is that I never buy clothes or shoes. And, you know, I'm literally wearing a sweater at this moment from grade 11. And it's one thing that I get made fun of a lot. I I get affected by it really differently. I'm sure others would get offended at the amount of criticism I've received from my fashion. But that's one thing that I'm really good at. But, you know, most of the new things that I wear have mostly been gifted to me. And to be honest, I never really felt deprived at all by any means. I would even go out to eat to restaurants every now and then. But again, you know, there's a difference between your mom and pop joint to an Oliver Bonaccini restaurant. In those aspects, we do still have our limits. So would you say that you value more experience rather than stuff? Would that be a fair comment? That, that comment would be pretty much spot on. You can really take experiences to your grave and, and have you know, last and, and really establish bonds with people that matter to you. The new Versace shirt can only last you so long, I think. I, I totally agree with that statement. 
that's very well put. And of course, you only have limited financial resources. So if you prioritize stuff like paying down your mortgage early and fitting in a, an annual trip, then you can certainly make that happen as long as you keep all the other spending and other aspects of your life in line. I think we achieved a pretty good balance through the, the last five years of saving, especially just because I, I am with a, a discount master in my wife. That definitely helps. <laughs> She finds all the deals and, and, and all the discounts, but the experiences do still need to be within your limits. We can't go to, to the Bahamas every six months. Did you have any setbacks on the journey to paying off the property? Yes, absolutely. And uh, I think this is going to be a part that's really important because my mortgage-free path was as bumpy as it gets. And looking back the past few years, I probably could have saved an additional twenty to $30,000 if I was a little bit more careful and less impulsive. You'd probably be really disappointed to hear, Sean, but before my first paycheck, so before I even got paid on my first job, I actually got myself a brand new car. And with, without that big of a cash guzzler, I may have easily have saved 70 to 75% of my income. It was a 2013 Civic. It was a base model. And although I didn't get a Mercedes, it flushed more money than I imagined. That's lesson number one. Cars, you can't get around the expenses. It will hurt your savings. You want to be as creative as possible if you really need that means of transportation. The second lesson, which was a lot more stressful, believe it or not, was early in my investing career, I had no sense of risk management or really new investing at all. And at one point, I was in the red for at least $25,000 after putting my money in low cap volatile stocks. And it was really the, the wild, wild west back in my first couple of years of earning money. Being young, I felt like I could take a little bit of risk. And obviously at that time, it was a little bit too much. But in the end, with a lot of luck, after three years, I ended up losing only around $3,000 on that crazy ride. But I think the most important part of all that is that it demonstrates that you know you don't need to be any sort of genius to pay off your mortgage. I probably had made more financial mistakes than most people, but what kept me going really was my consistency and my savings through the years. And you know everyone's journey is a little different. And if I made it through those bumps, I think a lot of people can be mortgage-free if they followed some of your principles. I think it's important to mention that I didn't read your book yet before I made those mistakes. So it was a, a steep learning curve after those two events. So I was, it wasn't perfect at all. I, I'd say I did maybe 40% of the things that you did to your path to, to being mortgage-free. Well, I certainly think that you know you have to have some fun along the way. So I'm glad to hear that you had more balance in your life. So nobody's perfect and I'm not perfect either. So, but you have a paid off house. So I think you're doing pretty darn well. Yeah. And, and that was one point that I wanted to see as well. I didn't really catch it from all the news bits, but did you run into any bumps yourselves before paying for your house? Yeah. And then I was actually going to ask you a question on, on this as well. So that's uh, great that you brought up that point. I had some rather expensive and unanticipated home re repairs that I had to get done. And I have written a blog post or two on them in the past, but what essentially happened, it was like kind of a freeze and, and thaw. And because of that, my basement kitchen ended up getting flooded and the retaining wall and walkout from my basement ended up kind of heaving up because of the whole 
Friesenthal and I had to basically get like over $20,000 worth of renovations done to my property that I wasn't really anticipating. I mean, I mm-hmm. thought it would be a few thousand dollars, but then one thing led to another and I had to get a sump pump installed and I didn't want to cut any corners, but yeah, I ended up spending thousands of dollars on, on that. And then my furnace broke down a couple times and that cost a few thousand dollars. So yeah, I definitely had some bumps al- along the way. I, I guess these weren't really things that I chose to do. It just kind of happened mm-hmm. and it was kind of some of the joys of being a homeowner. But I was just curious on, on your end there, living in a condo, you don't really have to worry about your roof being damaged the way that it happened to me last year on a couple of occasions because of windstorm. But in terms of home repairs and maintenance, like are, were there any home repairs that you didn't anticipate that ended up costing you a lot of money over the years that you've owned your condo? Mm-hmm. For, so from the most part, we've been on the lucky side of that. It is a new unit, so it's a brand new building. Uh, I've read that a lot more of the maintenance and, and the repairs and the bigger maintenance fees come at a later years of an apartment building. But moving in, it was pretty smooth. They they do have the, the PDI process as well. So, so the, the inspection process, I'm sure it applies as well to semi-detached or detached homes or, or regular homes. But for the first month, any deformities, any repairs, the, the builder will cover it. And uh, there are a series of warranties as well. And, and I'm sure those are all applicable to bigger properties through Tarion. But we've been lucky we did not have to, to come up with uh, big repairs or, or any, any sort of disaster construction. The, the builder that we had uh, was pretty, we're pretty lucky in that sense. That's great to hear because uh, another one of my friends, what happened to him was that he bought a new condo and stuff wasn't ready and the upgrades weren't done correctly and just ended up being a nightmare. So I'm glad to hear that your experience has been a good one. So I guess the lesson at the end of the day is just choose a good builder and have a close look at everything and make sure everything's good. And if, if you see any issues, then I guess take advantage of that tarry on warranty because it's not mm-hmm. going to last forever. Mm-hmm. I think with condominiums, the portfolio of the, the builder really plays a, a big role in, in your selection. If they have shown their, their history and that they've come through the past few, with the past few properties, that's, those are really good signs. Any new company that's starting their own venture, just as risky it is with any new venture, it's a little bit more on the, the riskier side for sure. Great. So considering what inspired you, were there any deeper motivating factors that kept you on track with your goals? Yes. So I think this is very important before anyone attempts to go on a journey like this. So from the beginning, I've always seen ahead that I'd want to have some sort of financial freedom and autonomy plays a big role in which direction I wanted to take. The biggest motivating factor for me was that I didn't want to hold a job because the mortgage payments had to be made. And the, the idea of choosing it, either coming to work or losing your home really struck deep with me. And as someone, as a young teenager living through the 2008 financial crash, it really makes you think about how fortunate you are to be given opportunities. And so I was looking for a way to protect myself from this. And the most natural solution was to scratch off my mortgage. And to me, the, the strong desire to pay for the house was really about taking control of my life. And this is the that initial step. And although I have quite a bit of work left to do, my desire for this 
control keeps me going and motivates me to fulfill future goals. Uh, another driving factor, which seems to be more trivial now, was just the idea of doing things differently. I read in an article from the Globe and Mail that only 9% of millennials bought a property without needing a mortgage. In my idea, I already saw what a 25, 30-year amortization looks like being with my parents in their house. And you know, there's absolutely nothing wrong about it. It's just I wanted to mix things up a little bit. I wanted to, to see what the other path not having a mortgage looked like. I'm assuming these are probably similar to what motivated you too, Sean. That's probably something that you didn't talk about too much in your book. Yeah, definitely. I mean, just not having the financial stress from having to worry about having a mortgage payment coming out of my bank account if I was to ever lose my job, especially being in a single income household. Like if I lost my job, then I would definitely have issues paying the mortgage. Having the security in terms of all mm -hmm. the side hustle as well as having tenants really gave me that peace of mind. But Certainly having my mortgage paid off for over three years now is a great feeling and it's just such a nice feeling. I'm sure you'll realize this feeling soon enough, but just not having that big cash payment coming out of your bank account every week or month or however often you pay your mortgage is a great feeling. And then you can kind of put that money toward another use, whether it's early retirement or building investment portfolio or buying invested property, but that's probably the best feeling, just not having that financial stress anymore. Well, tomorrow's going to be my day one, so I can't mm -hmm. wait. <laughs> and are you planning to do a mortgage burning party or any sort of celebration? That's, that's what I was going to mention as well, Sean, is that I don't really have a mortgage to burn. <laughs> it's, it's, tough. it's tough to look for a thing to burn at this point because there wasn't a mortgage in my case, for at least for this property. So that, that, on that part, I kind of miss out on a little bit. Okay, no worries. Well, you can live vicariously through me, perhaps. <laughs> yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to watch that YouTube video again. <laughs> awesome. Well, what advice would you give to your fellow millennials as well as first-time home buyers who share the same goals as you? I also wanted to stress down on one point that you had mentioned in your book. So I think every millennial out there needs to audit what they truly need. A lot of people believe that they need a house because the condo is too small. People need to buy video games and buy new shoes because they just have to. Even up to today, a lot of people question me purchasing this property. It's too small to raise a family. What will I do if I have a kid? And to be honest, Sean, if I had a kid, he'd do just as well here in this small apartment than he will in a four-bedroom house. And I really believe this. And the idea of space is relative. I'm living in an apartment even bigger than the basement apartment that I lived with with my family 15 years ago. And we all turned out okay. And I think millennials need to challenge what they need. Do you really need that five gigabytes of data? Do you really need a Spotify membership? Do you really need an iPhone X? And you know, the true answer to all of those, at least for the majority of millennials, is no. And you know, they will live the next day without those. They will live the next day without half the things that they're purchasing at this point. So that really is my suggestion. What do you need to survive and start from there? Problems with credit cards and line of credits all stem from this, trying to pay for a lifestyle that they don't really need.
And you know, another really, I think, practical suggestion that I can give is you know, surround yourself with like-minded people. I did this indirectly by searching for stories on the internet about financial freedom and being mortgage-free. It's led me to people like you, Money Mustache, and the couple from Millennial Revolution. And in a sense, you guys became my role model. I'd find now as well talking to some of my friends that I influence them to think about their finances and the big decisions that they're about to make. So, you know, the people around you will will really help you out if you if you choose to go on this journey. And you know, the closer you are to the source, the easier it is to emulate their results as well. Yeah, that's what the millennials need to do. No, that that's some great advice. And certainly, you know, I think if more millennials perhaps followed it, then we'd see more homeowners these days. But yeah, I really like the way that you put it, asking yourself, do you really need your Spotify membership or whatnot? Because if you go back 10, 20 years, even to our parents, they didn't have all this stuff like Spotify or Netflix, and they survived perfectly fine. Like my parents grew up in basically a bungalow and like it would be three siblings in a bedroom and everyone turned out perfectly fine. So I just think Mm. people kind of have like uh, maybe perhaps too high of a standard of living. I mean, I'm not saying that everyone should have to share a a bedroom, three person to a room, but yeah, you really have to ask yourself, do you necessarily need this stuff? Because it's going to end up costing you a lot of money at the end of the day. And you're going to have to put back goals such as owning a property and paying off your mortgage. So the end of the day, it may only be $10, $20 a month, but over 30 years, that's going to add up to thousands, if not tens of thousands of dollars. And that's money you could put towards a property or a mortgage. So exactly like the way you put it, definitely think twice before you spend all that money. And I'm sure you could come up with a longer list than I do. The, The phone plans and the shoes, those are just a few things. You've really gone through head to toe in terms of where you can cut down. And you're one of the bigger experts on that field for sure. I try my best. (laughs) Great. So now that you're mortgage-free as of tomorrow, what's next for you, Dan? To me, the next step, Sean, is is to to really come a little bit closer to diversifying my income. So, you know, trying to look for other ways to supplement just to give myself a little bit more peace of mind. But apart from, you know, pursuing financial freedom, which, you know, I think I pretty much am on course to do, I I would really want to, to be part of the community that's you know, helping and teaching people to be a little bit more financially sensible. And, you know, that that's an area where I think I can grow. That's why I'm writing the blogs. And it's uh, something that really attracts me as well. I'm, I'm around a lot of people that, you know, just are going blindly in terms of what their next step is, what their, what their goals are. They just haven't really been exposed to the right material. And, you know, there, there is a void out there. You know, it's hard to vie for, especially millennials at attention these days. I hope to, to somewhat be part of that and grab their attention and, you know, tell them that, think about your Spotify membership twice kind of thing. And I'd, lo- I'd love to educate people somehow at some, at some point in the future. Definitely, because I listen to music for free on YouTube and never paid a cent for iTunes or any of that other stuff. And I'm perfectly happy. So I, I'm totally <laughs> there on the same page as you. I'm totally on the same page. Google Mini plays free music for us. They don't have to pay for Spotify. <laughs> yeah. Great. Well, Dan, it's been wonderful having you on the show today. Before I let you go, is there anything of interest that you're working on that you'd like to share with our listeners? Yes. Yeah, so uh, I do just have a, a small 
and I'm starting off my blog on Medium. You can search my name, Dan Vizmanos. And I also have a YouTube channel with a couple of book summaries that just pretty much goes through a few of the pieces of literature that I've read before and kind of bringing up the most important points. So that's money curriculum on YouTube. It's really more educational. I don't plan to to finance myself through those. Go ahead and, and watch it if any of you are interested. Thanks for having me, Sean. This is absolute pleasure. Dream come true. (laughs) I hope you enjoyed my podcast with Dan. I recorded the podcast episode back in February. I just wanted to provide you with a quick update. Since then, I had the honor of helping Dan set up a home equity line of credit on his property. Dan's story is quite motivating. I look forward to staying in touch with Dan and helping many others with their mortgages. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Earn Your Mortgage Podcast. Besides being a podcast host, I'm also an independent mortgage broker. If you or anyone you know, family, friends, co-workers, or neighbors could ever use any unbiased mortgage advice or a second opinion, feel free to reach out. Email me at Sean, that's S-E-A-N, at burnyourmortgage.ca or call or text me at 647-867-3711 for a free mortgage consultation. Also, be sure to head on over to www.burnyourmortgage.ca and sign up for my free weekly newsletter. As a small token of my appreciation, you'll be able to download my ultimate mortgage checklist on choosing the perfect mortgage. I look forward to hearing from you and helping you with all your mortgage needs. Once again, thanks for listening. You've been listening to the Burn Your Mortgage Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe on iTunes and leave a rating. Until next time, happy mortgage burning.